this evening turn to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14 this evening. Genesis chapter 14. We're looking at the lives of men of faith. Lives of men of faith and men and women of not who did not follow the faith, who followed the flesh. The Christian life is a life of faith. If you're not trusting in God, you're trusting in your flesh. Every day we live our lives, you're either trusting God by faith or you're living, walking in the flesh. You can't do both at the same time. You either walk, you walk by, the, in the spirit, by the spirit or you walk by the flesh. Sometimes you can be in the flesh and hopefully you recognize you're wrong and then be in the spirit. And you can be in the spirit and that person cut you off on 39th and you got in the flesh. You know, you're expecting that steak well done. And it's raw. You got in the flesh because you didn't. It wasn't just five dollars. It was like twenty five dollars. A little bit different than it used to be. So it's easy to be in the flesh. So throughout the Old Testament and really throughout the scriptures, you see men who are by, who walk by faith and men, people who walk by the flesh. Now, to save a little time, I'm not going to read the entire passage. I'm going to go through it um, kind of verse by verse, outline a little bit and then uh, make some uh make some comments or give some principles. We're looking at the life of Abraham and eventually Lot. Remember their situation, Ur was called by faith, uh, by God, to go from the Ur of Chaldees ultimately to the promised land. He did so. He took Sarai, his half-sister, same, same dad, different mom, and took Lot, his brother's son, with him, went to the land of Canaan. There he had, there was Canaanites in the land. He had to learn how to deal with that. Remember, we talked about the fact that he was somewhere between Bethel and Ai, between the house of God and between a place of rubbish. And there he's, he, he set up an altar. From there, because of a time of famine, he went south. And anytime there's a time of famine and you leave God's will, you always go south. Jonah went south. He went down from the presence of God. When you leave God's will, you always go south. You always go down. He went down into the, what is Egypt, and we talked about Egypt being always in the scripture a type of the world. And, and eventually, as we know, they, the children of Israel would be in bondage to Israel for 400 some years. And so they are in this time of famine. And when they get down to Egypt, of course, they meet Pharaoh. Pharaoh is a taskmaster. He's a pagan. And what does he see? He sees Sarah, Abram's wife. Remember, it's his half, Abram's half-sister. So he lies and says, well, you know, you, this is my half-sister, you know, and so we're not really married. And so he causes Sarah to lie, and she does, and she tells his half-truth. And, and Sarah and Abram thinks somehow he'll get away with it, but you, you never get away with being wrong. And instead of thinking it was going to get him out of his situation, Pharaoh still has Sarah be a part of his harem. And so Abram and Lot is stuck there for a time in the world. And because they're stuck in the world, they get abundance of things. They get out of, but thankfully, because the Lord basically, uh, nothing because Abram done, nothing that, that really Sarah done, but because uh, of God's love for them, he delivers them out of Pharaoh's hand. And Abram chooses by faith to leave Egypt by the grace of God. He goes to he goes back to the promised land. He goes to the place back between Bethel and Ai, sets up an altar, starts living for God. And basically at that time, there's a trouble between, because they have so much stuff, there's a problem between his herdsmen 
and Lot's herdsmen. You can leave Egypt, but Egypt doesn't leave you. So they had this quarrel. What does, what does Abraham do? He says, well, I'm just going to do what I want to do. No. Even though he had the right and even though he was the oldest, he basically says to his nephew, you choose where you want to go. And what does Lot do? He doesn't ask God what to do. This is the first mistake. He doesn't ask Abraham what he should do. That's the second mistake. He chooses what looks the best. But dear friend, everything that, everything that glitters is not gold. Just because it looks right doesn't mean it is right. I remember when I bought that Subaru, the guy said, now there is something called the linen law. This thing may look, night, look right, may sound right, but you get down the road, if, it does, if it's not what it's supposed to be, you can return it, you know, for a certain amount of time, not 15 years later. For there are lemon laws in the, in the state of Florida, and I praise God for it. Any of you ever had a lemon? Amen. Tammy's had a lemon. I brought it back. It does happen. You know, even, even brand new cars driving off the car lot, they don't, they don't always work right. So what has happened? Lot goes towards Sodom, towards, goes, goes towards wickedness. And, of course, God blesses Abraham and his obedience. So that's kind of the background of where we're at today. Now we're in Genesis chapter 14. And let's look at the first couple of verses. Genesis chapter 14 and verse 1. It came to pass the days of Amphorel, king of Shinar, Eriot, king of Asherah, Chetamorah, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of the king of nations. But these made war with Berah, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Sinab, king of Adma, Sim, Simabar, king of Seboam, and, and the king of Bela, which is Zor. All these were joined in the vale of Siddim, which is the salt sea. Twelve years they, they, they served Chedoramah, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year they came to Chedoramah, and the kings that were with him, and smote the, the the Rephraim and Ashtaroth, Karnaim and the Zulims and Ham and the Enums and Shavah Kitharim and the Horites and the Mount Seir and Ephraim, which is the wilderness. I'm glad I only read that once. <laughs> that was a mouthful. <laughs> Whew. We see, first of all, the raiding of Sodom, the raiding of Sodom. Sodom was not a free, independent city. Before Lot had moved to Sodom, the city had been part of a servitude by this powerful king of the east named Shedalorimar. But a dozen years of servitude they had already under this king. Sodom and other cities around her decided they had enough of the servitude to this evil king. So what did they do? They rebelled. And of course, this evil king did not like the fact that they were rebelling. I'm sure this evil king wanted uh, stuff from them, uh, taxes from them, things from them. And so uh, they, didn't, they didn't like this. So basically you see two coalitions of raid. You see four kings, which, uh, which is part of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, and those kings versus five kings, which is part of this evil kings and their coalition. And they fight one another. So we see the raid, the cause of the raid, and the coalition of the raid, these two coalitions fighting against them, each each other. Thirdly, we see the cleverness of the raid. Look at verse 5. It says, In the fourteenth year came this Clitamore, and the kings were with him. And they smote. It says they smote them. They defeated them. 
They did a clever thing. This evil king was wicked, but he was clever. Instead of fighting the other coalition all at once, you know, typically in the battle you say you see one, one army against another army. And they fight all together. But this king, even though he's wicked, he was wise in the ways of warfare. Instead of fighting against all of them at one time, he went against one nation state or city at a time. And so all of his might was concentrated on one on one city or one kingdom at a time going from east to west clockwise. And so he defeated all of them. We see the cleverness of the ray. Number four, we see the conquering of the ray, the situation of the conquered. The veil of Siddam was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there. And there they remained, fled into the mountains. We see the shame of the conquered. Why did Solomon and her allies fall so quickly in the Dead Sea War? Why were they not able to use their advantages of their situation? Why did they act so cowardly? Well, it's not hard to discover. Wicked men do not have good willpower. Can I say that again? Wicked men do not have good willpower. They overtook and destroyed these kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and their compatriots. And we see the scope of their conquering. This included Lot, Abraham's brother, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and they departed. You see, they were able, even this wicked king was able to defeat Sodom and Gomorrah because of their wickedness, even though these kings had great advantage. I mean, these kings had the advantage of size. It was four versus, four versus five. They had advantage of sight. It was their fighting in their own, own home territory. They were acquainted. They had great supplies. Though they had their home advantage, though they had supplies, Though they knew what was going on, it was in their area. All these things were to their advantage, but because they're wicked men and did vilely, they were defeated. I heard it said sometimes that hard times produce strong men. Strong men produce times of peace. Peace, peace times of peace produce weak men, but weak men produce hard times. What was the greatest generation in United, of the United States? It was some of the men that came out of the Depression. They knew hard times. And because they knew hard times, it made them strong men. Is there a difference between the men today and the men of the, after the Depression? Yes. Yeah, there's a big difference. Hard times produce strong men. Strong men produce times of peace. Peace times produce weak men. Weak men produce hard times. It runs in a cycle. That's why each generation must realize, we must realize the importance of doing what is right and not looking at our forefathers and not just what they did, but choosing in our generation to do right. I can't live off the coattails of my father's faith or my grandfather's faith. I must have a relationship with God alone and choose to do right by the grace of God myself. And each of us must do. Thank God if we have a godly heritage. Thank God if we have parents and grandparents that choose to do right. But they cannot do right for me. I must choose it. You must choose it. No one can live the Christian life for you. You must live the Christian life for yourself. Well, thank God for good examples. But we must live the Christian life ourselves. Principle number one. 
Whenever you and I go out of the path of duty and put ourselves away from God's protection, and cannot ex- we cannot expect that choice we make that, we'll, that we make, even though we recognize it's wrong, to be good. Here's Lot. He made a bad choice. He went towards Sodom and Gomorrah. He, and when he made a choice to go towards Sodom and Gomorrah, that choice was going to lead to repercussions in his life. You ever see people's life is almost like a soap opera? They make one bad decision after one bad decision after one bad decision after one bad decision after one bad decision. They seem like they can never get out of those bad decisions. Well, dear friend, that's what happens when you make bad choices. How do you change that? Start making right choices. Start listening to the word of God. Start listening to wise, be around wise men. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Who you spend time with says a whole lot about who you are. Tell me who you spend time with, I'll tell you what you're like. That's in every area of our life. Dear friend, it's important that we do right. There's a vast comparison between those who choose to do right and those who choose to do wrong. Just in Proverbs. Oh, it's, it's, the verses are plentiful. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. The righteous more excellent than his neighbor, but the way of the wicked seduceth them. And the way of righteousness is life, and the pathway thereof is no death. Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of a transgressor is hard. The way of the wicked is abomination to the Lord, but he that loveth him that followeth after righteousness. There's two ways. There's two ways. Which way are you following today? Are you walking by faith and choosing righteousness? Or are you walking by the flesh and choosing foolishness? Abraham chose faith. Lot chose the flesh. So we see the raiding of Sodom, but also, secondly, the rescue of Abram. Look at verses 13 verse through 16. Look at verses 13 through 16. It says in verse 13, And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the land of Mamre and Amorite, brother of Eshel, the brother of Anar. And these were the confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother had, take, had taken captive, armed his trained servants, born in the, his own house, 318, pursued them under Dan, he divided himself against them that he and his servants by night and smote them, pursued them unto Hobah, which is the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods which had brought again the brother Lot and, and his goods and the women also and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return and the slaughter of Chedorlaomer, and the kings that are with him in the valley of Sheba, which is the king's dale. So we see the, the raiding of Sodom, but the rescue of Sodom. What do we see? The solicitation for the rescue. There came one that had escaped and told Abraham. So Lot's in bondage. Lot's in slavery because of his choices. He was the wrong place at the wrong time because of a bad decision. And he's now in bondage. Abram hears about it. What does Abram choose to do? He chooses to show sympathy. It says, when Abram heard his brother was taken, he pursued them. The enemies who had been taken from Sodom captive unto Dan. He made a decision. Oh, it's, it's sometimes it's a difficult decision. Someone said the sympathy for Lot was pure grace. Lot had despised Abraham, who had been most gracious in helping Lot. Furthermore, Lot had unhesitantly and ungratefully taken the first choice of the lamb. But Abraham exercised grace. 
Thirdly, we see the rescues of the soldiers. We see the size of the army. He armed his trained servants born in his own house. 318 pursued them. The time for the time for training for battle is not when you need to battle. You see, folks, if you're not ready to battle today, you're not you're not prepared for battle. The time to train for battle is now. Not when you think, well, you know, someday we might have. No, it's not someday. It's being prepared today. It's being prepared tomorrow. Tomorrow, you must put on your helmet of salvation. You must put on the breastplate of righteousness. You must have the shield of faith. You must have your feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You must have that on every day and train yourself, prepare yourself, because when the battle comes, the devil's not going to sneak up to you and say, oh, now, okay, tomorrow I'm going to be against you. Uh, tomorrow, I think I'll tempt you. Be ready tomorrow. No different temptation is going to come when you least expect it. It's going to come where you think it's, when you think it's not going to come from the pl- from places you think it's not going to come, and you're not prepared for that temptation. If you're not prepared for that trial, it'll hit you, and you won't be prepared for it. And you'll think to yourself, I can't believe this is happening. No, dear friend, we just said it this morning. Dear friend, think it not strange when, when perilous times come upon you. Think, don't, don't think it's strange when, when you get a phone call that this, this happened or that happened or difficulty or trial or problem. No, dear friend, for the Christian, it's part of our life. Are you prepared for it? Are you prepared for it? Are you prayed up for it? Are you ready for it? Are you ready for the darts, the fiery darts from, the, from that wicked one? Oh, I hope you are. I hope you are. We see the solicitation for the rescue, the sympathy of the rescue, but the soldiers in the rescue. They armed and trained servants born in this house, 318 armed. He had his army trained. Ezekiel chapter 16, 49 says that one of the sins of Sodom was abundance of idleness. Oh, dear friend, don't be idle. I mentioned this morning. I know it's just the devil's workshop. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Be busy. Be busy doing right. It's easy to be busy doing wrong. Brother Pete talked about this morning in Sunday school class about busy bodies. Don't be a busy body. Be busy for the Lord doing right. Don't be in everybody else's business. What are they doing? And what are they doing? And what are they doing? What are they doing? No, dear friend. Don't focus on what everybody's doing unless you're trying to help them do right. Don't be somebody who's telling, oh, that person and that person. Don't be known as the tailbearer of North Gainesville Baptist Church. Be known as the burden bearer of North Gainesville Baptist Church. That people can come to you, they come to you with confidence and, and love and grace and peace. Oh, they were trained. They were prepared. Let me see the strategy of the rescue. They divided. He says divided in verse 15, that himself against them. He and his servants by night and smote them, pursued them unto Horabah which is the left side of Damascus. Dividing his servants kept the enemy not knowing what the Abraham was a smaller group. He did it with great strategy in the darkness by night. The, the coalition of this wicked king could not see how many people he was actually fighting against. And we see the degradation of tragedy, this tragedy in this tragedy. Attacking Chilalorma's coalition quickly took advantage of the degradation of the conquering, conquering enemies. One commentary said one can visualize a manner in which the victorious army returning home lay scattered about, securing in thoughts of having one attack them, flushed with victory and perhaps with drink. No sentinels posted, nothing farther from the thoughts of 
all they, the idea of an attack. This wicked army had no idea that, 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 that Abraham was coming. They thought they'd won the war. The battle was over. But they did not know that Abram was coming with a divided army at night to defeat them. And we see the success of the rescue, verse 16. It says, and he brought back all the goods. It also brought, again, his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. The measure of the success, he brought it all in the miraculous of the success. Abraham, Abram was phenomenal in his work because he did it trusting God for success. Do you believe by faith that what he has you to do will be successful? Do you believe tomorrow, whatever God wants you to do, you can do it living by faith, knowing it will be successful? I hope you do. Trusting God, knowing he's behind you. Remember I told you that this morning that one of the most important things in life is to have a purpose in life? Well, if God has called you to do it, don't you think he wants you to be successful in it? Ah, I just said. We should. Believing, trusting. What is the principle here? Well, it'd be easy for Abraham not to get involved for his loser lot, wouldn't it? <laughs> it'd be easy for him to say, Lot, you made a bad decision. You made a bad choice, and because you made a bad choice, I won't help you. That's the easy thing to do, isn't it? To look the other way, even though Lot had gone, had gone wrong. Faced, one, one person said, faced with the dying world, with teeming millions who have never, never so much as heard John 3, 16, what are we willing to do? Say, well, the whole world hasn't heard about Jesus. We're just not going to tell them. What if people had the attitude when it was you? And, old friends, we need to tell folks while we have the opportunity. Faced with the need of weaker brothers and sisters in Christ being carried away from 